Welcome to a special edition of EG Property Podcasts, recorded as part of EG's new Starting Out in Real Estate publication, publishing on the 2nd of September. Conducting the interview today is Blessing Stoherty, Land Economy Undergraduate at the University of Cambridge. Blessings, over to you. Hello and welcome to this special episode. I'm Blessings Doherty and I'm pleased to welcome Dan Labad, CEO of The Crown Estate. Now a bit about The Crown Estate. The Crown Estate is a significant national landowner with a diverse £16 billion portfolio that includes urban centres and regeneration opportunities across the UK, Regent Street and St James's in London's West End. It's also got a substantial rural holding and Windsor Great Park. It also manages a seabed around England, Wales and Northern Ireland and plays a major role in the UK's world leading offshore wind sector. Now, a bit about Dan. Before the Crown Estate, Dan has held several senior positions in global property and infrastructure across Europe, the Americas and Asia. Dan has actively championed sustainability throughout his professional life, aiming to create more equitable, resilient and sustainable communities. So to all our listeners today, It's about supporting you. That's right, my fellow students, school leavers, or anyone wanting to learn more about the property industry. We have a special opportunity to hear about Dan's journey within the industry to bring you to a greater understanding of the opportunities that lie within real estate. So you too can consider property as a career path for you. Good morning, Dan, and welcome to this podcast. It's great to have you. Great to be here. Awesome. So without further ado, let's get started with our first question today. Now, looking at your background and you've remained within property for so long, um, I'd say though you've moved between different roles and tried different things, it's clear that this is your passion and this is an industry that you see as worthwhile. What would you say has been that pull towards the property industry and why would you say you've remained in it for so long? It's a really good question, Blessing. I think uh, when I reflect back on sort of my journey, I got into property not because I had sort of a master plan to do it, but more that my father was an engineer and I thought I wanted to be an engineer. And, you know, I grew up in a close-knit family in Australia and didn't really know too much, you know, and so did that and got into construction and engineering. And through my travels, I got to meet people that after a few years turned into conversations around this concept of placemaking and the role that property can play in life and in the way humans interact and the way humans live. And, you know, that to me was a real awakening probably four or five years into my career. And then from there, I was taken by the power of property to drive social change, the power of property to drive sustainability, and how property can be used as a catalyst through things like placemaking. And what I mean by placemaking is helping to improve the relationship between the way people want to live and how the way property is created or how the way property is curated Mm -hmm. helps them to do that. To me, that was, you know, very, very powerful. And to this day, you know, that's what drives my passion for property. 
Right. Wow, that's amazing. I like this concept of placemaking and wanting to create communities that represent the values and the wishes of people that live there, really. And you mentioned you have an engineering background, and I think that's an important bit to highlight on because I think sometimes people think to enter into an industry you have to have studied real estate or maybe planning. What would you say the industry has then provided for you in terms of cross-sectoral learning? I think the industry is made up of a lot of diversity in terms of what you need to bring together to get things done. Okay. But what I would say is that often I talk to young people and they say, you know, I've done a degree in this or I've done an apprenticeship in that and therefore what railroad track should I be on in order to build my career? And when I graduated 30 years ago, there were railroad tracks in that you graduated as an engineer or as someone in a property field and you joined the property industry and by and large you stayed there and that's what you did. That is a very different world to the world we live in today. There are no railroad tracks anymore. Every market that we work in within property is graying. Sectors are graying. Artificial intelligence is going to be integrated into property. Sustainability is going to be integrated into property. So to give you a great example, to be a leader in property today, you have to be and know enough about everything from cyber security through to, as I said, artificial intelligence, to the way energy systems work, mm. to the way retrofit and materials are evolving to help things like sustainability, the total life cycle of products, things that weren't even thought of 10, 15 years ago are now at the center of property. So my advice to people is one, property industry is a hugely exciting industry moving forward oh, yeah. and no one should think about it in historical terms because it will change in the next 10 years more than it has changed in the last 100 mm -hmm. and secondly my advice is don't think of your training as a fixed enterprise or a fixed part of your life in my mind what university or apprenticeships or any type of school and post-school training does for you, it gives you the ability to go on and learn more mm -hmm. as opposed to fix you. So for me, university is about learning how to learn, not stereotyping me as an engineer or a property person or a this person or that person. Right. It gives you the empowerment to go on and learn even more. Wow. I think that's incredible. From what you're saying, and you said four to five years into your career, you had this like awakening, as you described, to want to drive change. And I think a lot of young people now want to do that as well and drive change and shift things within the industry. And you started touching on advice that you would give to young people. Could you touch on that a little bit more in terms of what advice would you give to a young person who's just starting out their career and they want to drive change in the industry in terms of socially, environmentally? We see a lot of things like ESG being really important for those that do not know. ESG refers to our environmental, social and governance factors. So how can young people, um, maybe they're a school leave or even a student, play that role in trying to drive change within the industry? Well, I think the wonderful thing in what you're asking is the fact that a lot of people want to drive change. And I think that is the first thing. You've got to make the choice to make a difference. That is a conscious thing. I often come across people who are in positions of influence and what frustrates me more than anything else is those that don't use that influence to make a difference. 
So making a choice to make a difference is fundamental. So the first thing in that in my mind is making a choice to throw yourself into some of the challenges the world faces, climate change, energy security, the natural world. Climate change gets a lot of the headlines, but yeah. the natural world and protecting and restoring the natural world is just as important. We live in a very unfair society, you know, helping the fairness aspects of society. Those things need young people to fight for, needs everyone to fight for, but certainly also needs young people to fight for. The second piece in my mind is making the choice to have the courage to take on those challenges. Okay. It's easy to want to fight for something. It's much harder in those moments of truth to stand up for what you believe in. Now, none of us can fight every battle. That's not what I'm saying. But I think I'd like to see people stand up for what they believe in those moments of truth more than I see what happens. So for example, mm -hmm. you know, in a moment where say you're talking to somebody and something's gonna happen to the detriment of the environment, or you're in a meeting uh, with adults uh, who are, or people that are older than you, depending on what age you are, and they're telling you things that you think are wrong because they're gonna hurt the environment. Okay. When do you speak up and when do you stay silent? Yeah. And, and I really encourage people to speak up more, do it in the right way, do it professionally, but speak up and say, actually, um, I'm not sure this is correct and these are the reasons why. And thirdly, stay humble. I think in order to solve some of these problems, we need more inclusion. We need to celebrate difference and we need to bring different ideas. And I found in my career some of the biggest challenges that I've had to face and overcome have only been overcome because we've happened to have very different people from different backgrounds and different thought processes come together and hack it out yeah. in order to drive and overcome some big things, big challenges. So in my mind, those three things. The world needs courage. Okay. So make the choice to make a difference. Secondly, in those moments of truth, do courage, do the difference, don't just talk about the difference. And then thirdly, do it from a humble space where you're drawing on the collective ideas of different people from different places uh, with different views. Wow, that's important, yeah. I like the point um, specifically about drawing on people from different backgrounds and different perspectives and you have an international experience working with different people from Europe, America, Asia and what would you say now that you're in the Crown Estate, what opportunities does the Crown Estate provide for people from all backgrounds to access this industry to be able to have that platform to make a change within the industry? Could you share a bit about that? Yeah, well, I think firstly, it's important to acknowledge for your listeners that in the way you introduced me, you know, you introduced me very nicely as the chief executive, the finished article, but I'm far from that, right. okay? And this is the thing, right? None of us are perfect. Mm -hmm. We're all trying to live life and do the best that we can do. And I come from a background, I come from um, Western Sydney. My father uh, emigrated to Australia from Egypt uh, when he was about 20, my mother a bit younger from Italy. Uh, and I grew up in a very mixed Arab-European-Anglo household. You know, my lived experience, I'm fortunate to, to be able to say, had an element of diversity in it, yeah. but it also had an element of me seeing um, my father, who was an incredibly clever man, experience bias. You know, I've never had to experience bias. He experienced bias because he spoke English 
with a very thick Arab accent. Okay. And that left in me, you know, I guess a social justice. As I got to discover that straight away, but as I got older and I reflected on my childhood, it was like, actually, I really believe in this because, you know, you've got to see the beauty in difference because mm. that's what can make all the difference. And I think that, you know, coming to the Crown Estate, uh, firstly, I represent difference in some ways, but the Crown Estate also does. There's, there's a, a view that the Crown Estate is full of people that are from the establishment and all this, but no, we are, we are just everyday people, people that want to make a difference. People work for the Crown Estate because they want to create value for this country. Yeah. Um, all of our profits go to the country and we are very proud of that. And we have you know, a really broad representation of people from all walks of life working here. I'd like us to be more inclusive and more diverse. We have work to do. We are not yeah. perfect. But equally, we're not that traditional group of people as some people would expect. We are very different and that's very powerful and we want to build on that. Wow. That's really encouraging, I think, for our listeners that might think, okay, the Crown Estate, they hear it and they think that it's maybe for a certain type of people, but we're coming here today to break down that stereotype and that it's for everyone. And I know that you do have an internship program. And so I think in those areas, it'll be great to see even more being done to welcome diversity. So that's really great to hear. Now, um, we could shift a little bit to your role as CEO. I think a lot of people want to know just a little bit more. You have to make a lot of decisions, the final decisions and difficult decisions at that. What would you say has been the most challenging thing being a leader in this way? I think the hardest thing is learning how to change how you lead as you go through your career and your travels. What was required of a leader in business 10 years ago is very different to what's required today. For me, probably when I started my career, I was much more of a command and control type leader. That is the last thing that's needed today in running organisations like the Crown Estate. Organisations need role models in their leaders who are honest about what's working and what's not working, are open about where they're trying to take the organisation and open about where successes occur but also where failure occurs. Mm. Leaders have to work hard to remove hierarchies. Hierarchies really great as an organising principle. You need it, otherwise you wouldn't be able to function. But I think sometimes hierarchy gets disproportional. And one of the things, again, I want to say to your listeners is there is no perfect leader. There is no perfect person. I often have young people walk into a room and meet me and they're nervous. And I understand why, but I'd really encourage young people to try to take on their nervousness around hierarchy Mm -hmm. because sometimes it can be like kryptonite. It can hold you back. It can hold you back from reaching in and standing up sometimes for what you believe in, if that makes sense. And I was talking to this young person this morning from the organisation and, you know, he was being very open with me about the fact that he struggles with challenging and standing up to any form of hierarchy. So that was one of the first things he said to me when I was asking him about what does he struggle with and he was saying that I really struggle with, you know, I, sometimes I see something that I think is right mm-hmm. and I can see a decision is going to be made against that and even though I, I want to have an impact, I sometimes find it difficult to do that. And then I asked him the question, I said, completely unrelated, I said, fast forward, probably an unfair question, fast forward 40 years and you're at the end of your career. Yeah. And you've run out of work runway and you're looking back, you know, you're about to retire. It's your day, it's your retirement day and you're looking back at yourself. How do you want to remember yourself? Mm. How do you want to remember yourself? And he said, well, 
he said, and he went personal, as most people do in that moment, right? He went personal. He says, well, I want my family and my children to know that I made a difference mm -hmm. and that I've left his words, I've left some clues as to what that difference is. And I said, okay, the next time you're in front of hierarchy and you feel intimidated, I want you to think of you in 40 years from now. Wow. What would you do? Mm. Right? Because that's what we're fighting for, right? That's what we're fighting for. Indeed. I really like that point. I think it speaks to the importance of legacy and knowing what do I want to be known for? What do I want to leave behind? And I think it draws to a wider point of vision as well. And whilst we don't know, you know, exactly the future or where we might be in 40 years, we can at least make steps today that contribute to leaving a lasting impact, which is really important. So now that you've shared a bit about the difficulties with being a CEO and being a leader, I guess the people can feel a bit intimidated, but you've made that very clear that we need to go beyond that and move beyond that. What would you say has been also the positives of being the CEO? What things have you been able to drive change in particularly? I think firstly, I probably was a little bit unfair in not answering your question. I think the biggest challenge in leadership is taking on and accepting the responsibility that you are responsible for other people. And I'm not talking about necessarily, even though you are responsible day to day, so you'll meet people and you'll have a conversation about their careers. I'm talking about, you know, if you look at the work of the Crown Estate, we are responsible for the health and safety of millions of people every year that come into contact with our assets and our, our business. And there are safety incidents that occur, you know, that, that's on me. Sustainability is another one, you know, am I planting the seeds today to give this organisation the best impact possible to help this country towards a sustainable future. Recognising that responsibility, and that's a very important, I think, leadership lesson. Leadership is not a right, it's not an entitlement, it's a responsibility, it yeah. really, really is. And living up to that responsibility is the toughest piece, and that's probably the other thing. Making sure you're honest with yourself about your failures, so you use those failures to galvanise you to become better at what you do. And as opposed to creating a truth that ignores them, if that, if that makes sense. So that's really important. You know, the great thing about being a leader is you get to be the cultivator of empowering people and of helping people realise their potential. The thing that I'm passionate about, coming back to my passion for social justice, is I believe it is a human right for every individual to have the opportunity to realise their potential. Yeah. And as a leader, you get to play a small part in that, but it's such a powerful part, you know, the blossoming and helping create environments where people can be at their best. It's not about creating nirvana, but it is about creating an environment where breakdowns become breakthroughs. So something will fail and through that failure, there's a learning and people become you know, better at what it did. I'll give you a great example. I talked earlier about me wanting to do more in diversity, equity and inclusion. And the reason why is because I think ultimately the workforce of the Crown Estate should reflect the country because we are reflective of the country in what we do. We are a company for the country. And so we recently started to do a data drive so we understood the makeup of our people, uh, who they were. So having data about where people come from and, and what their makeup is is really important because you can anecdotally you know, talk about who you are, but you don't really know until you have the data. Mm. Then we started to cross-reference that data through employee surveys so we could see that there was an empowerment differential between those from underrepresented groups versus 
from those in overrepresented groups. So those in underrepresented groups were not, we, we had very good engagement scores all around, but there was lower engagement scores in those that were underrepresented. So then off the back of that, we ran a lived experience survey, an anonymous survey of actually getting under the surface of that uh, information to understand what was it that was causing this differential in empowerment. And and again, cross-referencing with the data that you can do anonymously, we're able to, to realise actually there are elements of our sub culture that are not as inclusive as they should be because the majority rule and we can now put in practices that can actually work against that for for greater positive to me that's a hugely empowering thing to be able to do as a chief executive because we're using real tools to make a difference and again nothing will be perfect but we're nudging things in the right direction and to me coming back to this concept of wanting to make a difference and wanting to change things nudging things in the right direction every day is what you have to hack away at in order to over time make an impact. Wow, that's really interesting. Leadership is never someone's right, but it's an opportunity to make a change, like you said. And I hope our listeners are really understanding that. And I'm glad that you also shared kind of the weaknesses or the things that you may have struggled with as you've grown in your leadership role, but you've overcome that. I think it's really important that you're sharing that human side, you know, sometimes people see a title, but they don't understand that really we're all humans and just trying our best to make a change and drive some positive impact. So I'm really glad that you touched on that. Now we have a few minutes left. You mentioned to the young boy about his career and in 40 years time, where do you see yourself? Now, if you were to look back at your own career and if you had to start all over again, what are two pieces of advice that you would tell your younger self to implement this year? To implement this This year? year. Well, I think being vulnerable is okay. I spent a big part of my early career um, you know, I was brought up as, you know, that male archetype, right? And, you know, stiff up a lip and get on with it. But, you know, I carried a lot of pressure that I didn't need to carry uh, in myself, wanting to prove that I could be the perfect person, you know, in that stereotype. You do not need to do that, you know, and I, I would have told myself, relax a little bit, be open about what's working, talk to people about your vulnerabilities. And I see a lot of young people put themselves under too much pressure, okay? You have to be able to run the marathon. It's not a sprint. And therefore you need to give yourself the freedom to be human, Mm. okay? You need to be human, talk to people, build networks that can help you and support you. And don't be scared about talking about your failures. When I look for talent, I'm not looking for perfections in outcomes because the world is too complex for anyone to believe anymore that you go through life and you make you know, a linear sequence of choices, all of which turn out right, and then all of a sudden you're chief executive. That's not how it works. Mm. It's about being able to bring the right posture to things, that you're your whole self, you're bringing the best of yourself, you're working on yourself, and you're trying to solve problems in different ways, and you're expanding your horizons, and yes, you have to be competent, yes, you've got to get things done, but you breathe while you're doing that. You know, you don't sort of focus unhealthily. So that's the first thing. 
The second thing which, you know, relates to that, I guess it comes to, you know, that the example I gave of the young man I was talking to, you know, my three things at the end of my life, because I've, I've thought about that question all my career, you know, what will I think of myself? What do I want to look back and think about myself down the track? And there's three things in my mind. The first one is, I want my children and my family to love me, but not for what I did, but for who I am, mm-hmm. which plays to the first point. The second thing is, I want my children to see that I've left some clues, that I've made a difference. And thirdly, I want nothing left in the tank. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I think, and this point that comes out of that, which is the outcomes are important, but the outcomes are not linear. There is failure as well as success and an openness to embrace both. And in fact, if you were to ask me, I have learnt a lot more from my failures than my successes. And secondly, it is a journey. And the journey wins. Thank you so much. The journey wins, as you have heard it, right from the CEO of the Crown Estate, Dan Labad. So thank you to all our listeners. And that's all for now. Bye. That was Blessings Doherty, Land Economy Undergraduates at the University of Cambridge, in conversation with Crown Estate CEO, Dan Labad, as part of EG's new Starting Out in Real Estate publication, published on the 2nd of September, and available via digital download.